Our reading today is taken from Matthew, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, and with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what the prophet, what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, And Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David! They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They said, Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. For many of us, those who've been in church probably more than a year, this is a familiar passage. We know about the triumphal entry. We know that Jesus came riding in on a donkey to Jerusalem and people cheered and shouted Hosanna and put their coats on the floor and took palm branches and put them on the ground as well and waved them. And no doubt, if you were in Sunday school at some point, you made some kind of a palm branch using some newspaper, if you were like me, where you did a wrapper newspaper and then cut down at different points and it all kind of flopped open. Or maybe you've done the thing where you've printed round your hands and then stuck them together and it kind of makes a palm branch and you can wave them like so. I think they're making flags today. I know they're making flags, actually. I don't know why I say I think. I've seen that they're making flags. Deb, so show me the flag that they are making. So there was this great anticipation. But we know what happens by a few days down the line. We know that things turn from this great, joyful celebration to Jesus' death. 
And I don't know if you've ever pondered that. What took this crowd that was so excited, so cheerful, so expectant on Sunday, that by Thursday they wanted him dead? It's quite a quick turnaround, isn't it? I think about Judas when I think about this story. Because Judas had been with Jesus for three years. He'd been one of the disciples. He'd followed Jesus around. He'd seen the miracles. He'd witnessed the walking on the water, the water turning into wine, the lame healed, the prophet, the the demons cast out, Jesus prophesying and fulfilling prophecies of old. He'd heard his teaching. He'd seen 5,000 being fed. He'd heard that Peter had said, you are the Messiah. And yet, at this point, he was in that cheering crowd. He was one of the twelve. It was all exciting for him. He was singing Hosanna. I mean, he was part of the main thing that was happening. I mean, Jesus is the top guy. But if you're part of that central group, it's got to feel pretty good. You're going, yeah, I'm with Jesus. Look, he's coming on the donkey. And yet, he then sells out. You see, the thing with Judas was, it's understood that he was possibly part of a group that were expecting and looking forward to the coming of a king. I don't know how you feel about Brexit. I know there's different views in the room. Some of you, yeah, whatever. Some of you still feeling the pain of the vote that took place and going, what on earth has happened to our country? What were people thinking? And there's still others of you going, oh, about time we got out of Europe. And you're quite looking forward to whatever happens next. There was a moment during the campaigning last year where certain people... I think, for yes, Nigel Farage, he's made it. He is leading the way, along with Boris. And they were put up on a platform. They were elevated. There was great expectancy about what could be achieved. Finally, this thing was going to happen. And it did. And those people that were behind them, for whatever reason, they were, there was slight amazement, I think. As they went, we did it. We went against all odds, but we did it. And they were excited. And then there was the downcast views of others. But the, the thing about that was, that was about a nation. That was about the UK. And it was about people's expectancy for the UK to be great. Let's put the great back in Britain. Or whatever. It was about going, yes, we're a wonderful country. and We're going to be marvellous and we're going to rule the seven seas again. And the sun will never set upon our great and wondrous empire. There was some of that came into it. There was a harking back to the good old days. That's what I struggled with the most whether you're for or against leaving Europe. 
I heard somebody say that they were for leaving Europe. They hadn't joined in the campaign, even though they normally would have, because they heard no one saying anything positive. They didn't say, if we leave, this is what we can do for the world. It was, if we leave, this is what we'll get for ourselves. And so they couldn't be part of that, even though it's what they wanted. And I thought, yeah, I could have, I could have got a bit more behind it if that was the case. But there were all sorts of crowds meeting at different points for all of that. And, and people were put on pedestals and kind of made into Messiah-like figures. And some people who were closest to it probably thought this is the best thing ever. Especially when they won. And I'm not a Nigel Farage fan, I will be honest about that. Just seeing his face and the smug look did my head in. Oh, it was, oh. And then seeing him in Trump Tower, stood in front of some gold doors. Oh, it was, oh. But the people closest to him were exuberant. This is the best thing. And yet, actually, if you look at UKIP now, if you follow UKIP, they're in turmoil. It's chaos. They, they should have it all together, and yet it's all falling apart. I wonder, I wonder if there were people like Judas who had this view of the national saviour. Someone was going to come. At the time, the Israelites were an occupied country. Israel was occupied. The Romans were in charge. They'd taken over. The Jews were free to worship to a certain extent, but they had to go through the Romans. And the Jews thought, no, our God... Our God is the best God. He's the biggest God. He's promised us a saviour. And here's Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies. Even today we read, that in verse 4 it says, This took place to fulfil what the spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. There was expectancy because this king was arriving. He was there. He was going to bring salvation. But the salvation that some people thought wasn't God's kingdom come, or perhaps it was, but their view of God's kingdom was the kingdom of Israel. A restoration to back when it was the time of David, when King David oversaw the whole of Israel. And it wasn't split into two, but it was one whole country and they were a solid nation united under God it was an exciting time but things had moved on and so when Jesus arrives and there's great excitement there will have been some possibly thinking this isn't going to end how they think it is but the majority of people are thinking the Messiah comes Jerusalem will once again be the centre of our nation and we will be a wondrous nation and we will win battles and our enemies will fall beneath our feet and it will be wonderful. And so when they were singing Hosanna, does anyone know what Hosanna means? Save. 
save or rescue. So they're shouting, Jesus, rescue us. Jesus, save us. And they're crying out. It's not that they said, oh, I wonder if you could possibly save us, Jesus. We're in a bit of a predicament here. They were saying, Jesus, save us. Come and save us. You're our saviour. Come. And that, that height of expectation, because they saw it happening, the things that they'd learnt in Sunday school or whatever they might have called it, the things they'd heard as people preached and said, when the Messiah comes, our country, our nation will be great again. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. And you're going to see various signs. And people are going, I've seen them. Jesus has been doing them. You're not, did you see that thing he did? He did that in that from Isaiah. Do you remember? It says in Isaiah, and it says in Jeremiah, and it says in Haggai, and it says in so many other places, and it's been fulfilled, and this is it. And there, look, he's on a donkey. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And of course there were people going, hmm, we, we've got our, we're a bit suspect about this chap. I think that the chief priests and the teachers of the law get a really hard time in the Gospels. They're always slated, they're kind of, oh, and the Pharisees were against Jesus and the scribes are against Jesus. Were they the only ones? I wonder where we'd put ourselves. We obviously like to think that we'd be the disciples. You know, if I was there, if I was there, I'd have been one of the twelve, hopefully not Judas. I'd have been one of the twelve. I'd have followed Jesus, definitely. Or maybe just one of the crowd. So I wouldn't have, like, turned my back on him. But, you know, I'd have carried on my day job. But I'd have gone to hear him preach and been like, yeah, totally for this guy. He, this is great. I'd have enjoyed the fish and the bread. I'd have been there. I wouldn't have been one of the critics. And I wonder how actually when new things come along, when there's a God's doing something and, and there's a stirring of the spirit and there's something happening, how many of us and how many times I go, mm, that's, a bit, that's a bit weird. They're doing it different. Not sure about that. We need to check our scriptures. Where in the Bible does it say that? No, I don't think we should do it. No, we've always done it this way. Our church history is this, and the Bible says this, so we couldn't possibly do it. I do it. I don't like some of the changes I see happening in and around the Christian world, in churches. Some of it I struggle with. Some of it probably rightly so. But some of it I imagine I'm just kind of not sure about the way that People do stuff. And I wonder today, as we gather and we sing Hosanna, we sing, save us. What's our expectation? Are we coming with the expectancy that, yeah, once, once Jesus comes, once, if everybody knows Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, then everything's going to be all right. We'll be fine. Are we expecting that we basically want, usually Baptist church, to kind of be well-known and have a good reputation and uh, 
people will kind of look to us and go, oh, well, usually Baptist church, they're a good church. They do good things. They're involved in the community. Their pastor knows uh, kind of some of the community leaders uh, and they have some level of influence within our society. So that's good. Uh, And we have a nice service on a Sunday. Isn't that wonderful? Or is our expectancy that Jesus will come, that Jesus will save us, that Jesus will turn over the tables. Because he went into the temple and he turned over the tables. Can you imagine? I was tempted to do it today. I was tempted to get a table and flip it over. And I thought probably we could have a couple of heart attacks. (laughs) And I wasn't ready for that. (coughs) If I said, no, this is wrong, or if somebody else came in, because this is our church. And if somebody else came in and flipped over tables, who are you coming in here telling us what to do? Flipping over our tables, you'll spill the coffee. We'll shake things up. But actually, we read in Scripture that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus comes in, He does it lovingly. When he enters into our lives, he loves us. But sometimes he has to wander into that temple and he has to flip things. And he has to shake them up and say, no, that's got to go. Because if that doesn't stop, if that thing in your life is not got rid of, if that thing you're doing isn't sorted out, you're going to suffer. Because it's ultimately us that suffer when we have stuff in our lives. But I also wonder if we get fixated sometimes on the things that God might save us from. Jesus, save us from these terrible things. Save us from the world because it's so awful out there. Save us from. And I wonder if we ever think about what he saves us for. Because it flips the whole way of thinking. I was trying to think of a picture and kind of going, well, so if you're hanging off a cliff and someone comes along and tries to save you and reaches over, you're probably thinking, phew, you saved me from falling down the cliff. But actually, unless there's, unless there's something worth living for, you kind of wouldn't mind. I know people who have taken their own lives because actually... Life was too much. They didn't feel there was anything worth living for and that nobody would miss them. And I think sometimes we need not to be looking down at what's below us, looking up and going, wow, what's over there? No, you saved me because I want to go over there. I want to see what's next. I want to see the newness. I want to see the freshness. I want to get past the kind of winter, if you like, and into the spring. And what a lovely time of year this is when new life starts poking through and the sun's shining. And actually, even when it rains sometimes at the moment, you kind of, there's just something lovely because everything's greener and brighter and fresher afterwards. So I wonder, when we say, save us, if we need to be thinking, not save me from, but but save me for, 
Give me a vision of what the future holds. Give me a vision of your kingdom. And if that means turning over some tables in my life, I'd prefer it if you didn't have to do that, honestly. But you know, if we deal with some stuff, wouldn't that be wonderful? And I love that this passage finishes. And it's got the children shouting in the temple. I can picture a number of our children. It doesn't take much to imagine them shouting. First part of a service is often lots of noise and hubbub. And it makes it difficult sometimes to worship or to focus or to hear the notices. But you know what? If they weren't here, we'd miss them. We'd really miss them if they weren't here. If it was quiet when you walked in, something's wrong. What's going on? There's no kids. Where are they? We'd miss them. And I don't know about you, but I learn so much from children, not just my own, from other people's children, watching them, seeing how they interact with one another, watching them grow, watching them deal with falling out and making friends and how they just in a park walk up to somebody because they're about the same height, so they must be the same age and therefore of course they're going to want to play whatever the game is and they'll all understand and they work it out. They accept things really easily sometimes, but then they also go, why? Yeah, but why? Why? Yeah, but how does that work? How? Why? Yeah, but... And I can see my son pondering things and working things out, and he wants to understand the world that he's in. And I'm still trying to work it out myself. But when something clicks, it's just like, oh yeah, got it now, fine. Yeah, that's how it is, okay. And from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. So when the children are with us, when we hear from them, they praise, they worship, they haven't got that stuff in their lives where the tables need turning over because they've got so caught up in things. That'll come for them, maybe. But when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't come to make Israel a great nation again. He doesn't come to make Britain great again. Jesus comes with a vision of God's kingdom. And he comes with a love and a compassion that wants to heal, that wants to cast out demons, that wants to love you to the depths of your being in a way that you've never been loved before. And he will turn over tables, not, not, because he's, not because he hates you, but because he wants you to be free from things, to not be caught up in whatever it is in your life that binds you. And he wants you to live 
within God's kingdom a life that is free. Free in the love of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we can come today and we can shout and we can sing and we can praise. And we might say hallelujah. We might say hosanna. We might choose words that we understand more. Like thank you. Like save me. Like help me. Like you're wonderful. But we can come because he first came to us. And this week, I don't know what your plans are. I don't know if you've got things in mind you're going to do because it's Holy Week or whether you've never stopped and really thought about Holy Week. And you go through the motions. Oh, great, we get bank holiday on Friday. Wonderful. Day off. Or whether you go to the service at St. Matthew's out of habit or something else. I want to encourage you this week to pause, to take a moment, to come to the things that I've mentioned and to think about what God's salvation, the, the salvation that Jesus offers, what, what does that really mean to you? Are you able to sing Hosanna? Or are there things in your life where you want to go, Jesus, I know there's some stuff that needs turning over. Help me. Help me. I can't do it on my own. I don't want to have the wrong vision. I don't want to be like Judas and so many of the others that had that, the wrong idea. That thought it was about one thing and were disappointed when it was about another. I want to see you for who you really are. The Saviour of the world.